Welcome back to the Foreign Desk. I'm your host, Lisa Daftari. Protests in Iran raging on into the seventh week as young protesters fill the streets, risking their lives as the crackdowns become more horrific, more brutal. The death toll is rising, the number of de detainees rising. There's breaking news around the hour, around the clock, uh, on the foreign desk. We have videos from the ground. We're trying to make sense of all of this, but more importantly, the conversation here about U.S. policy. How can the United States and the Western world help these protesters to actually have a meaningful movement that will lead them to what they want, freedom and regime change? And to break it down for us, I'm, I'm calling upon my good friend, the foremost expert on Middle Eastern foreign policy in the United States, Dr. Walid Ferris. Dr. Walid. Welcome back to the show. You know, you are always my favorite guest to call upon in terms of making sense of all of this and really not just throwing around talking points um, like many pundits do here in the United States, but actually putting into context what this means. Can you talk a bit about this current movement, why it's different, and what, what makes this perhaps the potential movement to overthrow Iran's regime of 43 years? Well, thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for inviting me again to your prestigious show on foreign policy. And you know how much I admire your work, how the United States and many in the Middle East look at your interviews and research as a stepping stone for actual advising on policy. So thank you for having me here. And I know you've been following and I've been following over the years uh, what is happening now in Iran and you are in the front lodges of that debate. In the media is something unique. So they, they, there are precedents. Obviously, in 1999, there were student uh, uprisings. In 2009, the famous Green Revolution. And obviously, in 2019, during the fall, there were long-range uh, protests. But there is something different about these protests in Iran. Number one, and it's very evident, the world is now drawn to it because of the role of women. Women and younger women and girls are leading that movement. They're not alone but they are the symbols of that movement. That changes a lot because of the impact it does worldwide, but impact inside, you know, inside the country of Iran. Because when a civil society sees their own women, that's very deep for them, especially in Iran civil society, taking the hits, being wounded and killed, uh, that is no return anymore. And of course, the youth. Uh, I'm sure you, you know that the average age this time, I mean, in during the Green Revolution, it was maybe 2021. Now, now we're talking about 15, 16, and some of these youth have been killed. So what is happening on the inside? Plus the fact that ethnic minorities, Kurds, Azeris, Arabs, Baluch, others, are almost in, on, in one speed with the majority of Persian population, young civilian population, moving forward against that regime. This is something irreversible. And as I have been arguing, under this administration, which has not moved much about Iran, that gives strength to the Iranian people to say, we're on our own, we need to go. That's why it's very strong in my view. And it will get to a, a point where it's gonna create a change inside Iran. For those of you who um, may not know, and I think many do know, um, Dr. Walid from TV, from Fox News, Newsmax, 
um, all types of Arabic media outlets, uh, French uh, media outlets. Um, Dr. Walid is, you know, not only the face of the media on, on the Middle East, but also the author of several books. I mean, your entire Middle East um, library uh, could be based on only Dr. Walid Ferris's books. And how timely that we will announce uh, the uh, coming out of his latest book, Iran, Imperialist Republic and U.S. Policy. This is it's not even out yet, right? So if, if people yeah. want to order an advanced copy, they can go to uh, WaleedFarrisIran.com. It's not even yet available on Amazon, so you can order your advanced copy at that website we have on the screen. Um, Dr. Waleed, I thank you. I know you're incredibly busy with the rollout of this new book, and I imagine that you started this book before the current uprising, but yet uh, the current uprising does play a huge factor uh, in the outcome of, of, of your book correct? Absolutely, Lisa. I mean, you're in the publishing world as well. You're Iranian-American, so you understand exactly uh, how we look, the experts, how experts look at these matters. I have been involved in publishing, monitoring, analyzing, briefing, as you know. That would make me much older for the last 30 years. <laughs> but over the past couple of years, since 2019, you and I and everybody involved in this matter felt that if something has changed, in Iran. And from our simple reading, thankfully, of social media, we realized that this revolution was brewing. There were incidents. There were the issue of hijab. There were the issues of, uh, you know, multi-ethnicity in Iran, but mostly a rejection by this young generation. They want to live. They want music. I don't want to tell you. You know better than me. So this was coming. I was preparing my book. And my book really um, is a historical book about the strategies of that regime, what did they do? How did they survive the Cold War, the Arab Spring? I mean, this is like almost a miracle. No regime has survived all of this, but it's also, uh, Lisa, about the failure of US foreign policy with regard to Iran. Uh, many administrations did good things, but other administrations did not engage. They abandoned the Green Revolution, as you know. And unfortunately, at this point in time, I think that this administration has a lot of catching up to do. But the Iran people are moving. So now the big question is, since you mentioned recommendations, what is it that we can do right now? What is it that the next Congress in, in two weeks will be able to do as of January? And what is it that this administration should be doing? And if not, what the next administration should, should do after 2024? So it is really a comprehensive book, a book that looks at the past, explain it to the American public, and propose some ideas. I mean, what can they, I mean, I wanna, I wanna really break this down because I think our viewers would be interested to, to see your, your recommendations without giving away the book because I do encourage everyone to order it and read it and really understand. Um, I mean, this could not be more timely, right? I think you will have the only uh, book on this topic exactly coming out in the middle of this um, momentous, uh, you know, moment in, in history. Um, what? What's the, the thesis of the book? I mean, how, how do you wrap this within the um, context of the last 43 years? And mm. then let's and then I'll move on to more more specifically, you know, what can be done. But let's let's put this more into it, its, its contextualization first. You know, Lisa, this subject it was a baby uh, in, in the sense of I've, I've seen it been born. I was living in Beirut uh, in 79 when that happened. And I heard the first reactions by those who become Hezbollah around us. And then I witnessed how Iran intervened in the region. And of course, 
uh, through the Iranian, various Iranian opposition movements, I learned significantly. So I'm coming to this as a lifetime project. But more importantly, since the era of 9-11, Iran started to move, the Iranian regime, of course, started to move in a very strategic way. And unfortunately, our media here didn't do a good job in explaining it to the American public. That was the missing link. Mm -hmm. We didn't understand how come various administrations failed in containing uh, Iran. I mean, the Bush administration, I don't want to be talking about the details, did something, but the Obama administration did the opposite and all the way to uh, obviously uh, Obama and, uh, and, and Trump and, and now Biden. So my book is trying to say this. Iran's regime was smart. They had strategies. We need to understand what they've done. The administrations in Washington tried to do some of the, uh, the policies that they have devised. But the link here I've discovered, and you and I have been talking about, is that some of the reasons behind the US not being able to help is the fact of the existence of a lobby. One of the victories of the Iran regime over America, I can say it very clearly, over American policy, is that they unleashed a lobby within the United States that sort of impacted our foreign policy, paralyzed some, some of it, and that is something that the American public doesn't know much about, and I am trying to inform the American public in my book. Can you speak more specifically about this lobby? Who are they? What do they want? And how have they gone about really controlling the narrative on the uh, Iran foreign policy in this country? It's very ironic that the, that the Iran lobby is very, very sophisticated. This is not just a you know, group of radical people gathering on, on K Street or et cetera. It's very sophisticated. They've learned from previous lobbies, uh, the good ones and the bad ones. Uh, they've learned from, for example, the Muslim Brotherhood. They haven't experienced 20 years, 60 years. They learned from how Western pressure groups operate. They, they learned from Israel. So they, they amalgamed everything together and then they had funding. Now, the first question, which I'll detail in the book, how did they get that much money? Well, <laughs> since 2015, what did we do? What did the administration do in 2015? We signed an agreement, the Iran deal. And it's the money of the Iran deal that was used by that, by that lobby to do work within our democracy. That is huge for the American public to understand that we actually fueled the political weapons, if not other weapons, against our own uh, independent decision-making. That's number one. And number two, obviously, there are some financial interests in America and in the West, mostly in Europe, who found uh, a convergence of interest with the regime. And that's also through uh, the, the Iran deal. So by putting those two components for the first time in a detailed way in front of the American reader, I think now the vision of that reader after reading this book is going to change. Now, I mean, specifically, what is the narrative of, of the lobbyists? I mean, for the average American, they're probably thinking, I mean, lobbies exist all throughout this country, right? They have different um, interest groups and, of course, freedom of speech, right? Freedom to assemble, freedom to lobby. Um, what specifically is dangerous about the Iran lobby? And I should say the Iran regime lobby. And what is the narrative that they have been pushing in Washington that has been effective? You know, Lisa, in a nutshell, um, the Iran lobby main goal was to convince the American public that what is being said 
about the Islamic Republic, about the Iran regime is wrong, that this is a country that is in transition towards reform. So to increase the myopia of the American public. And it's unfortunate that this lobby is not just about lobbyists. It has been supported by a large sector in the American academia. So you imagine professors and researchers supplying the American public via the media. And you and I discussed in the past and many years ago that the real problem is coming from how Middle Eastern studies are taught on campuses. Because where would the journalists come from at the end of the day? From a classroom. Where would the, uh, anybody working in the field of influence in the United States come from? From the classroom. So. The smart approach by the Iranian regime and their lobby was to number one, fund think tanks that are producing these ideas. And then placing people in positions. I know that other lobbies do the same, but the problem is that they are doing a disservice to the truth for the American public to understand about a threat. Because on the one hand, the Iranian regime was going after Americans with terrorism, with intimidation, after America's allies on the one hand, and then on the other hand, they were basically, I don't want to use a strong term, but fooling the American public about what the Iran regime is. You know, you know the question I often get, and I, I would love to get your take on it. You know, you, you mentioned the media. It's so interesting because it's a combination of, of obviously my upbringing as an Iranian-American and hearing about the revolution at the dinner table from, from being a young child, obviously born after the revolution. But secondly, because of the way that I saw that there is no accurate reporting on 9-11, I, I really, I, I jumped right in. I said, this is what I want to do. I want to tell or I want to contextualize what's going on because the American audience does not understand this. What truly is the reason why we don't get proper coverage of these important stories, including currently the uh, Iran protests? Is it A, because of a lack of understanding of history and they just don't want to touch it because it's just too difficult, not something you can discover on an easy uh, Google search? Or is it B, because they're actually buying into what these lobbyists are doing? Do they want to whitewash the enemy? Wow, that would need another hour, but let me summarize it quickly. It's, it's in the book. Uh, it's both. It's A and B, and you caught them very well. A, there is a systemic problem, and I just tried to explain it, but I'll add one. one. If you have a defect in the classroom, if you're teaching Middle Eastern studies, which I did for many, many years, or history in the classroom, those graduates, where are they going to go to the newsroom? and to the war room, like advising you know, national security and foreign policy, they will go with the wrong understanding to begin with. And it's true for Iran, it's true for the Muslim Brotherhood, it's true for you know, any other radical ideology. So coming to the news desk in the mainstream media, if you didn't have an alternative education or some other sources like your show or like many other shows or books that you can read, you are the prisoner of wrong facts and ideas. That's to begin with. But there is more than this because there are leaders of public opinion, leaders of ideas, who move the news in a direction, and you are in the heart of the news. And they would say, oh, we're going to discuss this matter. Oh, not this matter. For example, the Cedars Revolution in Lebanon, it was completely erased from the debate here, versus one event that is to the interest of the Brotherhood or to Iran, it will become the centerpiece. So the second most important point is that there are financial interests, I'm gonna just announce it and then readers will find it in the book, in America, who had and have now an interest 
in having the United States signing the Iran deal and pushing for the recognition of this regime. And that's actually companies, and that's actually cartels, and that's actually financial interests. Now, in our system, which we love, but it's a capitalist system, but it has some problems. If you have that capital, you could use it also to lobby. So now many of these media institutions, because they need the money, because they need the funding, will be funded by interests who are involved in the Iran deal. And obviously you're not gonna have a coverage. You didn't have a coverage. The only difference now, Lisa, is that the Iranian people discovered that and they are breaking through. That's why the role of women is so important of teenagers, of minorities in Iran. You know, you look at the what, the, what we call the liberal mindset, the progressive mindset, and I'm not that far from it, but the one funded by the Iran deal, they can't stop. They can stop these videos. What is their argument? I mean, these are women, they want the same rights that you have here. So that's the difference between this revolution and the previous revolutions, which were not understood. Now, speaking of the Iran nuclear deal, um, uh, President Obama, let's just put out an easy timeline for people to follow. President Obama in 2015, ever since coming into to his, his presidency, wanted that to be his claim to fame. He wanted that Iran nuclear deal. So closed his eyes to all the other uh, factors, including the Iranian people in 2009, and, and went for the deal. Uh, then we had President Trump come into office in May of 2018 got out of the deal and he campaigned on getting out of the deal and shredding the, the, the deal. Um, and I know that you were part of that administration to, to a certain extent, obviously we're, we're at the, the table for these important decisions. And then you had President Biden again mm. as a candidate running on the fact that he's going to go right back to the Iran nuclear deal. So, I mean, how did such an important, what should be a nonpartisan issue, because we should look at the obviously the foreign policy of what will keep our assets and national security and um, you know what will be the best for the for Middle East stability and not have it be a ping pong game between Democrats love the deal, Republicans hate the deal. And that has really shaped the psyche of the American media, academia, everything else you pointed to in terms of how they feel about the deal. Now, small little break here because now the Iranian people, many of whom are Democrats, have all of a sudden said no to the deal. Yes to sanctions. You know, things that we've been saying for many years, but again, it was always dismissed as a Republican talking point, as a very hawkish talking point. Now they understand that in order to diminish the Iran regime, you need to put sanctions on the regime in a very, very targeted and impactful way. And secondly, and most importantly, we need to back away from the deal. Giving them billions of dollars, no brainer, will, of course, legitimize and give a lifeline to this regime. So how do we get, I mean, and I know you, you we, want, we, don't, we don't want to give away the book. No. Uh, we want people to buy the book and obviously read the, 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 the true contextualization of all of this. But if you had to summarize, what's the role of the Iran nuclear deal and what is the, the administration doing right now? Rob Malley in the last 48 hours came out and said, we're not going to waste our time with an Iran nuclear deal. Very different tune than the one he's been singing for the last two years. Let me try to summarize what the book will, will detail uh, with great details. The deal by itself preceded the mandate, the presidency of uh, Barack Obama. It was done after the US invasion of Iraq. It was basically the Iran regime building bridges with American politicians and American interests, especially in 2006, when there was a change of uh, Congress and there was a group that came to Congress, including 
Senator Barack Obama, including Kerry, including Speaker Pelosi, that group was briefed by radical professors and scholars about that message coming from Iran that yes, we could do a deal with them. And yes, this will turn to the advantage. And this would be the legacy that you were talking about. So they were convinced that this is the best alternative to what the Bush administration was doing. So it's many, many years before even a President Trump would come to the White House. It's really deeper than that. And then the rest is what we know. So once they have that project, that's the Obama administration, they made so many concessions while the Iran people were sending them messages. You remember the uh, the chanting of Iranian demonstrating Iranians demonstrating in Tehran about to, to 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 Obama, are you with them or are you with us? Because they thought he's a progressive, and the Green Revolution is progressive, so he should be standing with them. No, the deal was stronger. So we had all these years until President Trump came, and he started to take out element by element. Uh, you know, was drawing from the Iran deal. That's number one, which was a shock to the other side. Then putting the past Iran, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard on the terror list. That's what they, they, where they belong. And then of course, clashing with their militias, ultimate, ultimately, uh, you know, eliminating uh, Soleimani. So now what we have is an administration that is going back to the Obama years, uh, going back to the actual deal. The problem is that the Iran people has changed. The American people has changed somewhat. They have more information, but it's really the Iran people which is going to bring down that Iran. So, you, so basically you're saying in the last seven weeks, the Iranian people have managed to do a 180 on, on Washington's policies. Yes, they, they have created facts that it's going to be, to be very difficult for any American president or Congress or European parliament. I mean, I have been following this very closely. What the Europeans that start with Europe have been watching is something they have not seen. It's like they, have, they were cheated by their political leaders. What? This is what's happening in Iran. These are teenagers. These are women. These are girls. That created an emotional charge in, in Europe. And I have never seen European leaders. I mean, of course, the new prime minister of Italy, whom they criticized and said, well, she's on the right and she's with Russia. Not at all. She stood strongly with the Iranian people, and she criticized Moscow for supporting Iran. It's a major change. And then even the commission, the European commission, obviously they're not coming full-fledged against the deal, but they are speaking. In the past, they were not. They were not talking at all about this matter. So what's happening now is that the Iran revolution is changing policies in Europe, and the same here in the United States. Let me add one point for history, since it's the first interview here about the book. Have we ever imagined that one day, former President Obama will kind of say, oh, we were wrong. That's a few days or a couple of weeks ago. That's the opening of the change. When those who founded the Iran deal and launched it realized, wait a minute, I speak about equality for women, for youth, for change. And now the Iranian people are teaching me what is happening in Iran. So that's why I'm saying it's not gonna be comfortable for the supporters of the Iran deal going forward. Right. Right. It's absolutely true. And I, I, it's, it's interesting you underscored the point of President Obama coming back and saying, I made a mistake. I don't think most people want to be on the wrong side of history. And yes. it looks like the Iranian people will be will be navigating their own future and uh, writing history. Now, let's say if we were lucky enough, I mean, I think we should all pitch in and buy copies of your book to send to, to the White House because they obviously yeah. need a lesson in history and how to go I'll forward. Sign them. <laughs> Yeah, with a nice little note. Um, 
don't mess this up, please. Uh, Dr. Walid, what going forward from today, how would you advise Rob Malley, President Biden, anybody, anybody who can have a say and has a say in how we navigate this uh, Iran policy and support the protesters on the streets of Iran? How would you guide them? Look, what the Iranians need and say they need, and you and I can read them on, on social media and in other ways, is what we want you to do now is just don't make any more mistakes. Stop making mistakes to begin with. So you're going to have to stop the talks about the Iran deal until the Iran regime stops the oppression. That's the minimum. You cannot say, oh, you know, beating women and harassing teenagers is not good morally for the image of Iran. That doesn't work. You have to line up with what's happening in Iran, side with the people of Iran, and then stop recognizing this regime. That's number one. Number two, obviously, sky is the limit of, for what America can do. I mean, who are we kidding here? Look what a Obama administration has done in Egypt, in Libya, in Tunisia, elsewhere, but on the wrong side, unfortunately. I mean, they empowered the Brotherhood during the, uh, the, 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 the Arab Spring. America has a lot of tools, communications, uh, support, uh, diplomatic support, but also putting a push, a serious push internationally. And now I would recommend that the first thing they need to do was what the Trump administration was trying to do. Unfortunately, our domestic matters here did not help, is to have an international conference to isolate the regime and start empowering the opposition, empowering the Iranian people. Way before any logistical or military or anything of the sort, it's really the symbolism that would strengthen the determination of the Iranian people to continue. They are the ones who are sacrificing on the ground, not us. No. And I, and I want to ask you the last question because I think you're honestly the best person to answer this from an aerial uh, perspective of the Middle East and, and the future of the Middle East and its stability in general. We have uh, Lebanon, which is now a political vacuum without a, a, a true president or, or mm -hmm. leader, strong leadership. We have um, ISIS on the march again. We have, um, you know, some good news with uh, some moderate Arab states marching towards the Abraham Accords and, and creating some meaningful relationships there. But how important is the future of Iran's regime in the scope of the entire region? Meaning if there should be regime change or how important is this movement? How important would it be to change the regime in Iran? And what does it actually mean for the region? You know, in my book, I argue that what is happening now in Iran is the most important development in what I call Middle Earth. Because from that event, it will affect the change of Iran's policy. Yes, you're right. There is the Abraham Accords growing and they're strong and gonna protect themselves. Should it be the Arab side or the Israeli side? And that's a very good news. On the other hand, you have this regime, the Iran regime, which now is sending drones and missiles to Russia to bombard a country in Europe. I mean, if we don't see that for what it is, and obviously the Iranian regime has been developing these ballistic missiles with the elections, in, and that's another chapter in, 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 uh, in Brazil, and having the Iran leadership congratulating in Hamas and Hezbollah, the new leadership, that means an expansion in, in, the, in Latin America. So now we have two directions in the region, the Abraham Accords on the one hand, and the Iran deal that will fund the Iran regime. And what would change, the linchpin in the middle that would change everything is that Iran revolution. If it wins, if it's successful, 
then this Iran regime will change, will collapse. We don't have to do much about it except recognizing the right of the Iranian people to change. And if it, if it does, then the Abraham Accord will become across the region. And if it does, terrorism will be defeated in the region. It's, it's a no-brainer. It's, it's a no-brainer. That's exactly right. And I encourage everyone to buy the book, Walid Ferris, Iran.com. If you want to get an advanced copy, I thank you for giving us the first interview and allowing us to announce your uh, new book. And uh, I encourage you all to look at all of uh, Dr. Walid's books because they are all truly informative and really the best reading material out there. And uh, you speak in such a profound but easy to follow way, which makes it even better. Uh, and uh, where can they find you on the, on the web? At Walid Ferris Facebook, at Walid Ferris Twitter, at Walid Ferris Instagram, at Walid Ferris everywhere. everywhere. And obviously the book has its own website that you have kindly announced. I encourage you to follow him, learn from him. And if you'd like to uh, follow us, you could follow us at the Foreign Desk or at Lisa Daftarian. If you'd like to sign up for our daily top 10 email that'll keep you on top of the day's top headlines, go to foreigndesknews.com. You can sign up there and make sure you subscribe to our weekly podcast on youtube.com slash Lisa Daftari. We will see you all next week. And I thank you for following, subscribing, and keeping up with all of our top headlines. See you soon.